You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Let's go. What is up, Bick Nazar? Craig McEwen, Bick and the Boss. And you, as well, featuring in on the show. You can always chime in. 650-650 if you want to interact with us. Bick and the Boss brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Give yourself the Avenue advantage. Stay under the cap by saving thousands on select Kubota skid steers and excavators. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. C-Mac, what is going on? Yes, sir. What is going on? It's, it's, uh, it's a big, big day for Canadian soccer. And it's not often that you can say that, Bick. Um, there's been a lot of misses and swings and misses and swings for this country when it comes to the men's game, not the women's game. Women, obviously, gold medal champions have done great work over the years. But you know what? There's a real sense in soccer circles and hopefully in general circles as well that this Canadian national men's team can somehow find a way to qualify for this World Cup. And obviously the next one will be in Canada, Mexico and U.S. And and that would just set them up nicely for back-to-back World Cup appearances. But yeah, I don't know that I've been more excited about a, a group of Canadian men players than what they have currently on their roster. I'm geeked up for it. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday, and a lot of people reached out to me yesterday, not just because, hey, the announcement, Sportsnet putting out uh, 13 of the 14 matches is going to be aired uh, on Sportsnet for the World Cup qualification. But a lot of people, like, friends I wouldn't even consider soccer fans, reached out to me, just finding out, hey, when's the game? Where can we watch and all this sort of stuff? And I think part of it, CMAC, is... Winning is contagious. Like, people are getting excited for Canadian men's soccer. It's kind of wild to me. And I, I know the stakes are a bit raised now, obviously, with the final stage of World Cup qualifying. This isn't like a friendly match or something like that. But I, I sense what you kind of feel there, like genuine excitement in this match tonight and this whole octagonal. Like, people who aren't soccer fans are getting geeked up for this. And part of it is star power, you know, Davies, David, but yeah. other guys. That plays a factor in this as well. Stars are always going to drive eyes to any sport, any product in general. But I think on the heels of Canadian women winning gold in soccer at the Olympics, obviously the other night, Canadian women hockey winning the World Hockey Championship, that kind of nationality uh, for national pride of winning, we're kind of it feels contagious. It feels good, doesn't it, to puff yes. your chest out and say, we won gold. And here's another opportunity, next national event for everyone to get behind, rally behind, and support the team. And I know there's been a lot of critics of Soccer Canada. Hey, I've been one of them myself. But I, I feel that winning, I don't want to say mentality, because they still have to go and do the job and whatnot. There's not a long-storied history of Soccer Canada, the men's program, uh, you know, having lots of success. But... On the heels of what we've seen, I think it's kind of hard not to get excited and see now that you've kind of flipped that switch mentally. Say, this program's having success. This program's having success. Why can't the next group have success? I think for fans and supporters of soccer in this country, you look at this opportunity, and I think sports fans in general, you look at this opportunity as let's carry it over. Let's keep that momentum going into this squad. Yeah, and that, Bic, the country versus country, the momentum, the winning, the expectation, those are the general sports fans, and you need it. And it's a great time in the calendar where we're waiting for the NFL season to kick off. Hockey is still 
a few weeks away to really getting going at training camp. We're in this bit of a lull right now. And, and these moments where these international games come up at this time, they can get the spotlight. From the soccer nerd point of view, and, and I'll speak to that because, you know, I, I follow the game. I love the game. Um, the recent run that John Herdman has had his group on has been phenomenal. I mean, they, they played Mexico in the Gold Cup, lost, but should have beat them in that semifinal. They've beaten the U.S. recently. You mentioned the star power of Alfonso Davies and, and David, and they have more attacking options now than they've had forever. Because, you know, back in the day, in, in like 1986, when Kansas World Cup that they've ever been in, they had a group that could always defend, but it was it was the goal scoring that they couldn't muster. So they would grind teams down, park the bus, you know, try as they might, maybe get a goal, nick one here and there. But the one thing, though, now, Bick, in my opinion, and this will we'll see what John Herdman has as far as an impact on this program, is now there's expectation. So before in, in these the run up to this qualification. Yeah, there was expectation and hope that Canada would get this far, but really with recent history and all that's gone on, they hadn't been to the big dance. Now there's the big dance. Now there's some expectation and we will see because as I said before, this is the most talented group of players I believe that has been assembled in quite some time and guys who can actually score and international stars like Davies, as you mentioned, this is where now can they handle that pressure of, okay, we're not just the underdogs. Yeah, we are against Mexico, U.S., but we're expected now to do really well in this tournament because a lot of people say they, they might have the third best squad. And that's saying a lot considering, you know, the Jamaicas and all that sort of stuff that are, that are in there. They might have the third best squad in this group. It's no longer about hope and promise, right, just to say that. Because I think years past you would say, well, how good are the other nations? And maybe Canada has a third-best squad. You can make a viable case that Canada has a third-best squad in CONCACAF and that they should be advancing from this octagonal and that they should be aspiring to say, hey, they can give Mexico a run for the money and they're going to be able to pick up points in difficult situations. So I think in general – Tons of excitement. Five o'clock kickoff tonight. Obviously, you can check it out on Sportsnet. Uh, 13 of the 14 matches will be aired on Sportsnet. It's an exciting time, man. Absolutely exciting time. And I'm curious what this does. You know, you, okay, you mentioned John Herdman there. Just because this is now a different scenario than I think we've probably treated Canadian men's soccer in the last two years. And, and maybe even a bit further back. Because now there's, you know, with, with more eyes... Uh, people aren't just watching just to support uh, the the team. Uh, they're supporting because they want to see a win. And now, okay, is there a certain level of burden of expectation that comes with this? Now that they're this close. And, again, we talked about the star power. People are tuning in because they want to see some level of, of achievement here. For sure they do. And, listen, the most important thing for Canada, in my opinion, when it comes to that expectation and matching that and, and living up to the billing and living up to the hype and listening to John Herman, who is one of the best motivators around, did fantastic work with the women's program, has done an unbelievable job with the men as well, getting people to buy in, getting people to represent their country. That pride of the Maple Leaf, you know, you talk to some old timers like Paul Dolan, David Norman, Bob Leonard Uzi. Back then, there was some real pride when you put the Maple Leaf on. It might have been a little lost in years. Uh, recent uh, time but bottom line Vic they have to get off to a good start and by that they have to take care of business at home if you get your victories at home and then get the odd draw on the road 
you will get through. If you don't and stumble at home, which we've seen a few times in the past with Canada when they get to a stage where they really need to advance, they don't do it at home, that's where it's going to cause problems. So tonight's match might be the most important one they have because it puts them on the front foot moving forward if they get a victory. But it also shows that, you know, coming to Canada is going to be very difficult to beat them here. And it's just what you have to do in this type of qualification. Win your games at home and then just bonus points on the road. Uh, See, this is great. I I can see the support coming into the text message inbox. I think some people were a bit weary of like, oh, man, talking soccer and and this unsigned text. You know, (laughs) for the the inevitable text complaining about soccer, imagine being such a source sport, and there's a different word, and then I'll use uh, my version, uh, that you can't appreciate other sports must be exhausting. But look, there's going to be a lot of support for this, and Brendan and I'mo saying, hey, I listen to 650 every day for many hours, huge Canucks and NBA fan. I have actually had no idea who's on Team Canada besides Alfonso Davies. Can a lot of people name players, or is it just media coverage? Hey, look, it might be a bit of column A, it might be a bit of column B, but hey, take this as an opportunity to learn the squad. You know, I, I hate the idea that bandwagon finger, uh, fans are shunned, right? If you're late to the party, be late to the party. Who cares? Support them now. That's all that matters. The squad's been named. The matches are going to be played. Your support is all that's necessary here. So get behind a a Tayshan Buchanan or a Jonathan David who had an awesome season in France. I'm sure you remember Atiba Hutchinson has been around for a lot of years. There are players that you can watch and you say, hey, I'm ready to get behind these players and learn them over the course of these 14 matches. And it starts tonight. So you know, don't be shy to get involved in it, but here's your opportunity to learn from it as well. Yeah, and, you know, a Max Crapo as well from the Vancouver mm-hmm. Lakers. Listen, Canada's soccer team, probably the biggest problem they have is anonymity. And, you know, they have a, a deal with a, a streaming service. And so if you don't pay for that, it doesn't hit the masses. It doesn't hit the general sports fan that you mentioned, Vic, off the top about loves country versus country, and I want to wave the Canadian flag and see them beat Honduras or Mexico or the U.S. or Jamaica. When it's a streaming service, now you're really playing to, you know, the quote-unquote soccer nerds. But by Sportsnet now stepping up, and this isn't a plug for the company, but they see the value, I think, in, to your point of what happened at the Olympics with the women's team and winning gold and all this stuff. They see a value and an opportunity here to amplify the game. And that, in my opinion, is what has been missing in a lot of this qualifying and a lot of how well Canada's playing, that you just couldn't find it. Like, buddies, where's the game? What, where, where can I go? At? Well, you got to have this streaming service. Well, I don't have that. Why, do, why don't you guys have the game you work at sports that change this well they have now and this mm-hmm. will be a great opportunity as well to showcase and allow the average fan not just the soccer supporter t- to see this team play and and hopefully do bigger and better things and look uh yeah i think people are excited i, I think dave and cedar is uh is joking here but he's like soccer talk couldn't this time better be better spent giving an update on the beauty league but look that's what i'm saying i, I think there's genuine excitement uh for what this uh match is going to have tonight and also moving forward. Marion Richmond, CONCACAF is a joke where Team Canada is now. We should have been for decades. Always challenged for a World Cup slot. Hey, look, you're absolutely right. I, I, I'm not going to relitigate the past, right? You were just kind of no. talking about it there. It's, it's from what this moment forward. And I think support is what's going to matter. National unity. And look, I, the, the results can go poorly. They might lose 8-1 again to, to Honduras or something like that. But these next 14 matches, I'm fired up for it. And it starts tonight, 5 o'clock. Uh, on Sportsnet, uh, this one, uh, Stephen Delta, perfect opportunity for Canada to prove if they're this good, 
Uh, if they're this good of a team, their playing is only a few spots away from them in the rankings. But if we're the third best at CONCACAF, we should win tonight. So we'll see. Really looking forward to it. That is Steve and Delta, 650-650. Keep your thoughts coming in. Uh, some people asking about uh, the 49ers and the Oakland Raiders. Don't worry. We'll get to the Oakland Raiders. They, you know, made a big signing today, a former... Vegas uh, Raiders. Vegas Raiders. Uh, oh, sorry. Yes. Uh, sorry. Don't, the Oakland hurts me when you say that. It hurts as a Raiders fan. I wish <laughs> we'll they get, were still back in Oakland. We'll get to KJ Wright at some point. Uh, but we, we do want to get to a couple other things as well, including uh, things that are happening with your Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Corey Pronman uh, for The Athletic does this thing annually. It's a great piece, you know ranking the organizational pipelines uh, for each uh, team in the NHL and slotting them. And, you know, by and large, you see, Mac, we sit here and we say, hey, man, there's not a lot of prospects coming through. As much as they are trying to, you know, be in this moment of the pro teams got to have success and they got to get to the playoffs and all this sort of stuff, there's a worry about the long-term viability. And then you look at ranks like this that Corey Pronman has put out, and the Vancouver Canucks find themselves at seventh highest as far as organizational pipeline. Now, the method used for this is under 23 players. And so, hey, you, you cast that filter on it. It's Elias Pettersson. It's Quinn Hughes makes the list. Vasily Podkolzin, uh, Nils Hoaglander, Jack Rathbone. So a lot of guys that are going to be on the pro team rather than when we talk about organizational depth. You know, playing major junior, playing college hockey overseas, not quite in the NHL just yet or in the AHL. And you see this list and you think, seventh, that doesn't sound so bad. Part of me says, look, there is a bright future here because there is under 23 talent here. The other part of me says, we, read, we do this list a year from now, they might tumble to, say, 25th because Elias Pettersson will age out of this group. Yeah. But, but listen, that here's the thing. In my, in my opinion, you, you build your prospects when your team isn't great because you're going to have higher draft picks. You're going to supposedly get better players. You're not going to have to find those diamonds in the rough as you get better and improve and your core gets a little older. Yeah. Your prospect pool isn't going to be as deep. There's not going to be as many sexy names. The fact that the, the Canucks, when you just mentioned it there, Hughes, Pedersen, Pod Coles and Hoaglander, you know, that to me, screams hope that to me shows that hey they're they're in a good spot right now and in the the development or cycle that this hockey team is moving through those young players are five four five really key guys will hopefully carry the way and they'll continue to drop down that prospect ladder and that's not a bad thing in my opinion if they're winning and they're doing well if they're not doing well then obviously i think they're going to restock and get some more prospects because bottom line the picks will be higher you, you look at the teams ahead of them you know the the kings the devils are, are are right ahead of them the kings are a team that yeah we we've we've talked about before someone to look out for someone to you know worry about could be this year i'm not so certain about that i think it's still a few years away but when you live in the land of, of prospects and potential you know what things can go wrong too mm-hmm. players don't develop like you think the 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 top guy that you have you know and eichel gets traded away buffalo obviously has the top you know prospect list from prom but look how bad that team has been so it's it's a, a balancing act it's the teeter-totter it's the scales and and you look at it okay we have these guys in this u23 pool and and our team is getting better so i i look at this as okay hey the canucks are in a pretty good spot in his rankings at seven but to me the most exciting part is that all four of those prospects are in the lineup assuming pod coles and makes a team and are doing things for this hockey club to make them better yeah, the whole point of prospect is you want to turn prospect into production. And 
yes, this is clearly weighted in a way that the Vancouver Canucks are high on this list because they're you know, quote-unquote prospects, are actually producing at the NHL level. I looked at this and I thought, hey, it's odd that the LA Kings aren't higher because, and, and they were ranked fifth in this list, but, you know, we talked so much about the, the LA Kings and how many guys they have coming through that Turcot, Byfield, and on and on and on. There's so many great players, Kaliev, Clark, right? There's so many guys to get excited about in that franchise, but they're not playing at the NHL level. That's the issue. And, and I have a lot of hope that those guys are going to succeed and LA is going to be a very formidable divisional opponent for the, uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, but you still kind of have to wait to see it. You still kind of need that confirmation that prospect turns into production. And for the Vancouver Canucks seventh might be alarming to some people of how do they make seventh in the prospect rankings or, or the organizational pipeline rankings? Well, it's because they have Elias Patterson. It's because they have Quinn Hughes. And if you want staying power for, hey, nine years, hopefully with long-term contracts and, you know, club control and all this sort of stuff, these guys are going to be here to keep them competitive and have a certain floor for the organization. Now, it's, it's now about scraping that ceiling and seeing what you can do and what achievements you can accomplish. And you know what, you, you were really spot on with the word you used about production. So I look at this now as I'm envisioning a, a prospect, and it's like a triangle. There's the, the point of where the prospect is, and it's either in the potential or into the production. And if you look up potential in the dictionary, it's future success, future this. Production means you're doing it right at this moment. And that's where sometimes I believe the prospect trumpeters of the Canucks organization just want them to gobble up all these picks and why are we trading away and doing all this sort of stuff it's a fine balance between potential and production you need some potential in your organization you need some young guys coming yes you do you need to restock the cupboard but you also need the production which is the here and now and that's where you can build and build and get all these great prospects and all that sort of stuff with potential but if potential doesn't lead to production then it's nothing. It just sounds great that we have this this awesome pipeline of young players. So that's the hard part about being a GM in the National Hockey League, whether you're Jim Benning or someone else, is filling the cupboard with potential, but having your prospects also giving you production, which right now for the Canucks, that's what gives me the most hope. you got the four guys that can give you production because they will be in the lineup. And to me, that's the juggling act or the, the, the diagram you have to look at when trying to judge an organization. Bick Nazar, Craig McEwen, uh, just about that time. We do it every day here on Bick and the Boss at 120. You text in your submissions for Don't At Me. Uh, it's Don't At Me here with Bick and the Boss. I kind of teed it up there. Uh, already with the Soccer Canada, but I'll, I'll rehash it here. Don't at me. Canada qualifying for the World Cups. Don't at me, C-Mac. That would be nice because then it doesn't feel like perhaps they would be backing into the next one if they were given a spot that they actually went out and, and proved punch, it. Punch your ticket season, baby. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be so great. Listen, I, I, I'm old enough to remember... Uh, 1986. I'm old enough to remember going to Swanguard, Bick, and watching England play Canada. Gary Lineker. Like, it was unbelievable. Young Paul Dolan in between the sticks. And uh, a buddy and I, uh, two of us actually, 
we're leaving the match and we start talking to some English players and all of a sudden we end up at a post-match party across the street at the TELUS building from Swan Guard and there's mm-hmm. beers and all that. And I'm just a teenage kid. I'm, this is great. We're, we're swilling pints with the English players and the Canadian players. But I remember 86 and watching and, and, and seeing a, a, a Dale Mitchell shot bounce behind the net against France. He thought it was in. They finally scored and they didn't. And they had to play Platini and how tough that was. Man, oh man, it, it set a generation of soccer players on the path of, I want to get there, I want to chase that. It's been a long time since 1986. So I am so hopeful uh, that uh, they can somehow find a way here to get the business done like we talked about they should and get, and as you said, punch their ticket. Uh, a couple more Don't At Me's coming in, 650, 650, send them in. Uh this one, uh, don't at me. Louis Potts 30. I imagine that's uh, Louis Erickson. Potting 30 or 30 mil? <laughs> well, hopefully he's not potting 30 mil again. But, uh, yeah, th- 30 goals for Louis Erickson. Uh, let's say 30 games, maybe. Uh, that, I'll be, that is better. You, you have all the right answers today. You're talking about production when we're talking about prospects. Now you're talking about reading between the lines and going games instead of goals. Uh, oh, I, I'd you, be, you are right on it today, buddy. You were right on it. I, I would. I would be amazed if uh, if if he got 30 games. I, I'd be like genuinely impressed. 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it would be a testament to like his. Work rate, right? Because because nobody's ever questioned his work ethic and, and his off ice training or anything like that. If yep. this if if at his age, Louis Erickson playing in Arizona, and look, I know they don't have the the, the best of talent everywhere, but if, if at thirty six years old he's still going to get thirty games, I'd be impressed. Genuinely I, impressed. I would be too, honestly, especially considering how it just dried up here in Vancouver when he used to be kind of one of those guys out of the press box when someone was hurt. They had a lot of injuries last year, Bick, with guys going down in the top one, and we saw Cole Lind elevated. A lot of players that got a shot and a chance. He wasn't one of them. So, yeah, to, to see him get 30, that that would – games, not minutes, uh, and not goals, that, that would be something. Don't at me. Thank you, Mr. Boss, for getting the, can- the Canadian World Cup qualifying games on Sportsnet. The praise for you in the inbox. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> yeah, I, w- I, w- I wish I uh, wish I had it. It's probably more Jerry Dobson, you know, phoning from his mansion now that he's retired, saying, "Hey, get those games back on." I used to do all that soccer for you. Uh, the Pokey Reddick Posse, don't at me. <laughs> Prospects don't park in leadership's parking spot, but production does. Yeah, if you're producing, you can have my spot. <laughs> but if you're just got potential, no way, no how. <laughs> Oh, I just picture Josh Elliott Wolf right now. Just, just irate. <laughs> I produce. I produce. Exactly. He's like, parking that spot. Am I? Am I a prospect? Uh, do I? Do I have production? Yeah. That's great. That is great. Uh, it, great. It's actually, Bick. It's actually why every time I go away, I let Sat park in it because you know <laughs> he's got potential. Of course, uh, Greg. Uh, don't at me. It would be so great if some team offered you to Elias Pettersson seven years, eleven million dollars per year. Uh, it kind of would be great. Let someone else do your work for you, and just match it and be done with it. Or, or is he is he suggesting that they don't match and get a bunch of picks? And again, looking at potential, not production, oh, because you would lose Pedersen's. You would lose Pedersen's production, and I, you can have all the potential you want in the world, man. Oh man, you can't lose EP40's production. Uh, yeah, you, you absolutely cannot do that. 
Uh, I, I would assume it means, hey, get him signed. So, so you know, you don't have to go to sleep at night in your Canucks pajamas and your Canucks bed sheets and all that and worry about Elias Pettersson. Or if your kids are, and as soon as they drift out to sleep, they're thinking, hey, has Elias Pettersson signed his contract? You don't have that conversation with your kids at night. Come on. Yeah. Wanna, hey, get ready for next season. Yeah, you're right about that. Hey, this one in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650, Danny and Brookswood. Don't at me. The best summer of women's sports in Canadian history. Yeah, they've rocked, haven't they? At the For Olympics, sure. the, on the ice, at the hockey. You know, yeah, it, it is It is definitely an awakening. It, it shows the talent level. It shows the commitment. And you know what? Let, let's hope, Bick, moving forward. We had Katie Caldwell on yesterday talking a bit about that. Let's hope that um, it becomes more normal to see women's sports and to watch and support you know just like we do the men yeah we were talking about it on the people show last night and you know the point was kind of made i think sat said it. it's just like we're, we're gonna look back at 2021 at some point because of what happened this summer and it's hard to recognize history in the moment but at some point you're gonna look back and okay what was the turning point at sometimes and it sucks that we, you know, sometimes it takes success at such yeah. a high level to to spurn everything and, and switch everything. Uh, but you know, maybe we look at this and say, hey, this is our opportunity to actually get behind everything and support it with finances, support it with our own eyes on on it, and support it with our own energy as well. Uh, so, you know, Danny and Brooks would absolutely, you're you're on point. Uh, this is going to be a massive, massive thing. Uh, don't at me. Uh, the KJ Wright Seahawk issue was inevitable. Uh, because there is two Utah Utes, or two Utes, pun somewhat intended, Emily in the Valley. Uh, so yeah, there are uh, a couple of Utes uh, on the uh, the Seahawks right now. Marquise Blair uh, dominating, Cody Barton uh, doing so as well. But uh, I think it was just a case of no space for him. Jordan Brooks having success, and... Uh, yeah, money. All Bobby Wagner is still there. Yeah, money. And I just think it's a scenario where uh, how often are they going to play three linebackers anymore? And uh, if, if Marquise Blair can be a third safety, is that as valuable as having uh, K.J. Wright on the field and having a third linebacker? So we'll see what uh, how he plays. We'll get into that conversation. Your Raiders uh, making a big signing. Uh, we'll get into more uh, busy, busy show. Uh, we're going to be speaking to the uh, SFU hockey coach uh, next. Mark Coletta will join us, and uh, we'll talk a bit about the NFL as well here on Bick and the Boss Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Bick and the Boss. Bick Nazar, Craig McEwen here, home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Nick and the Boss brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Give yourself the Avenue advantage and stay under the cap by saving thousands on select Kubota skid steers and excavators. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. A couple of late don't at me's strolling in. It happens from time to time. People listening on their streaming devices, maybe you're uh, 30 seconds, 45 seconds late. Uh, Tanbeer, don't at me. Jordan Brooks will break out this season for the Seattle Seahawks. Certainly, certainly. That's definitely the hope, isn't it? Yeah, that that is definitely the hope. Uh, And don't at me, or or, sorry, this isn't a don't at me, but uh, Silver and Black Canuck is not sure how to feel about uh, you being a Raiders fan. (laughs) Oh, actually, no, he did have a don't at me. He said, uh, Gus Bradley is trying to make a new Legion of Boom, but because it's the Raiders, it's 50% chance of being a Legion of Gloom. Yes, or Doom. 
Well, well, Doom with the Raiders feels like it would be menacing, right? Like the Black Home, Legion of Doom, and all that sort of stuff. I guess so, but I'm thinking more Doom in, in oh, yeah. we're doomed. It's, this is destined to fail. It's been a tough go <laughs> to be a Raiders uh, fan. And, and like I said before, when you mentioned the word Oakland, I, I so wish they would have stayed there. I get the allure of Vegas, the, the, the glitz, the glamour. The big stadium, Mark Davis's new house. I understand all that, but no, the, the been to a game in Oakland. What an experience that was! Absolutely unbelievable. Uh, there's tailgating, and then there's watching the Raiders Nation. It looked like a scene from Mad Max. It was unbelievable. KJ, right though, buddy, he's gonna be one of your uh, best linebackers, best players on that defense, and you know, will probably one of your favorite Raiders of all time for sure. Uh, he he was great in Seattle, and and listen, they they did definitely need some help on the defense. I'm not so convinced on Carr either as a quarterback, but a couple good yeah. running backs, some better receivers, the tight end spot, really good. I don't know how the offensive line's gonna be, but. Uh, yeah, silver and black Canuck. It's okay. It takes all types. You, we don't all have to love each other to be supporters of the Raiders. Who are your favorite Raiders of all time? Favorite Raiders of Tim all Brown? time. Uh, well, I'm I'm going to go even further back. So I, I I'll have it. I'll have a few here. But uh, Kenny Stabler um, yeah. was yeah, was yeah, an yeah. awesome. There was a book written about him which I I enjoyed. Fred Bolitnikoff from that era, receiver, so so good. Uh, then Matuzak, you know, Brown, as you mentioned, uh, he was, he was great for, for the Raiders as well. Like even watching a guy like Marcus Allen play, like Mm -hmm. there's, there's been some good teams and, you know, then there's recently just been some horrible, terrible, awful, awful, awful teams. So yeah, I, I, I would say this, like growing up as, as a fan and, and back when I was, doing it you only saw certain teams on tv all my buddies were steelers cowboys and i'd I'd love the silver and black uh there you go silver and black canuck uh really twisting his emotions here uh in the 650 650 uh, text message inbox uh getting ready for the nfl season a cool feature uh today on espn of justin herbert by mina kimes you know, another one of these emerging QBs who I was really impressed with last year blew my expectations away. I think I was higher on him more than consensus coming out of the draft, but even yep. by my expectations, like it was phenomenal how good he was last year. And it, it's you know, a quarterback can just change everything, uh, the, the fortunes for your franchise. It can flip so quickly too. It can go from okay, we're an okay or maybe a mediocre team to suddenly, hey, we're in the playoffs every year. We can win a round and we can contend. Yeah, I, I look at the, the, like the Colts, right? They were a garbage franchise and they get, uh, or that one year, like it was so bad when they went from Manning that bad year into Andrew Luck, but they get Andrew Luck and it flips so quickly. Now that's special is special. Um, and he took them to the playoffs multiple times. Herbert, suddenly, it feels like there's a breath of fresh air for a, for a Chargers team where now they have an opportunity. And it did get me wondering of, are we about to enter like a golden age of quarterbacks? Because you see Patrick Mahomes, you see Justin Herbert, you think yeah. of all these young guys that are not just good, they're good right away, C-Mac. There's no longer this, hey, sit behind guys and Steve Young waiting years and years behind a Joe Montana and then gets his opportunity and finally shines. And maybe the, the peak of his career wasn't as long as you would hope it to be, but you could see, boy, he was such a good player. He just in, 
didn't have enough vertical mobility to get into the lineup enough times with Montana there. Now you look around, it's like Trevor Lawrence is in this league. Justin Fields, Trey Lance, we're excited about these guys. Uh, Justin Herbert. Are, are we getting ready to get into a golden age of quarterbacking? Uh, I would say yes. And you, you talked there about gaps with some of the older guys and when a, a new stud or best quarterback come around. And, and there was a time where there's some not great quarterbacks in this league. Not every team had the opportunity, like right now, as you said, all those young guys, you know, Zach Wilson, going to these franchises and giving them hope. And and it's, I think it's the evolution of sport, Vic, where things are specialized a lot earlier now than they ever used to be. Kids used to play four-season sports, baseball, basketball, football, you know, hockey, soccer, whatever it was. And and now a lot of these football players, these young guys, these quarterbacks have played so many more games. They, they've done the seven-on-sevens. They, they're, they're just more polished when they get to the, the NFL. They, they've been running different type of offenses that, you know, the complexity that they ran in high school is nothing like when I was back in school. It was like, here, hand the ball, run left, hand the ball, run right. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that that evolution or education or specialization, I think will accelerate and we'll see more and more quarterbacks, stud throwers of the ball come along than what we used to where it would come every few years that you would see someone really dominate. Yeah, I've talked about this before too, how the gap between... In, in timeline, right, between Crosby and McDavid felt a lot shorter than the gap between Gretzky to Crosby, yeah. right? It was always this concern of who's going to be the next guy, right? And you even think about it in the NBA, like the gap from Jordan to Kobe to LeBron, right? Like those gaps got significantly shorter. And I think the specialization of sports at a youth level is what's kind of engineering about this, engineering this. And, and, you know, we talk about investing in grassroots and why you do it. It's for moments like this where, you know, maybe you get a golden age of, a, of a, the sport's most important position. Now I might say we may have seen the golden age when Brady, Manning, Breeze, Rogers were all kind of that, you know, 07 to 2012 range where it was just those four guys just crushing it. And also we should say, that, hey, the rules have made it a lot easier. But, you know, kids – quarterbacks at, at high school are playing seven and seven all year long. They're, they're going through the processes of, of knowing what to do, when to do it a lot earlier. And you mentioned it there training. Uh, like I, I've gone to my nephew's soccer practices at you know, U eight level, U nine level. And they're doing stuff that like when I stopped playing, I wasn't doing, and it just blows <laughs> yeah. you away. It's like, Oh, right. This is how you invest into specialty coaching and get more resources for these programs and you'll get better coaching and you'll suddenly see talent thrive at a younger age. And that's how you get to that next level. And as guys and and women progress through their, their, their playing careers, they're going to be like 19, 21 years old and have gone through so much more real game training than we've ever seen before. And that's going to develop better stars across all sports. Yeah, I I agree, and you know let let's let's bring it back to Herbert a little bit though. The training is great. It's still the mental game. Do you not think is it's still a big part of it? Like the ability oh, yeah, to throw totally. and the skills, and and maybe by the kids going through it a little younger, that they're they're handling situations and and reading defenses differently. That that the that's accelerated as well. But you know we started this show off with expectation, and when that's placed upon you. 
in the Chargers case with with the new coaching staff, new OC, you know, he still Herbert has a lot of weapons. The expectation now gets placed on these these younger quarterbacks and and maybe because they've been through a lot of this growing up, played more games that they can handle it more, but that's still the difference in my opinion between a good and a great player. For sure. 650-650 if you want to chime in as well. Uh, Trevor Lawrence will be the second best QB in the league before you know it. And yeah, that's the point. Like I I, I, I don't think you're wrong. These, these rookies and these younger players are so much better, so much faster. We're thinking in the NHL is right, right? Uh, Shane Wright is going to come in. Connor Bedard is going to come in. Mitchkov is going to come in. And as much as you want to like lower the expectations on rookies, they keep breaking through expectations. Yeah. And they keep showing you, hey, we're ready to win now, immediately. And that's why we talk about, hey, aging curves and trying to get guys on y- young players on longer-term contracts because they're, they're, they're better prepared than we've ever seen. Just look at Elias Pettersson. A lot of people looked at that and say, hey, scrawny guy, he's got to build, grow into his build, and then we'll talk about him when he's 23, 24 years old. He's done phenomenal work through three years, and... Now, okay, he's at 22. We're ready to see how great he can be, but he was phenomenal in the playoffs uh, in the Edmonton bubble and really showed how good he can be earlier than I think a lot of people expected. Well, and you know what, Vic? You look at it, and we talked about it yesterday, the thing when we said no fear, the confidence that these young players have too, you know, the the young Mm -hmm. quarterbacks in, in the NFL, they don't seem phased by the moment. And... Again, not a high-level athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but there, there's a, a, a changeover when you, you're kind of playing university and then you go play men's league. You know, you, you sometimes get lost in the, in the moment there and get a little intimidated because you're playing all these men. and all, These guys don't get intimidated at all when they're facing men. Well, let's actually pitch this by uh, Mark Coletta, the SFU men's hockey coach, who joins us on the hey, line hey, now. Hey, hey Bick, oh, yeah, Bick yeah. hold on a second before we get there. Hey, Coletta. Listen, you, you've been wanting to get on this show forever. And what do I see on your Twitter account? You should fire this guy right away. Spelt my name wrong. Okay, the last <laughs> name's wrong. You've got Bick second. This is Bick and the Boss, this show. So Bick's got to go first. You got my name wrong. Like, you're off to a pretty bad start, buddy. Yeah, I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to talk to the people who made that decision there. <laughs> I don't, uh, I'm not a tech guy, so I can't, I can't help you with that. You can't spell? You went to university? You're coaching at a university? Come on, man. I went to a state school, so they didn't, uh, English wasn't our, uh, our first uh, our major. Mark, this is all C-Max doing. It's, not, it's got nothing to, me, to do with me. I'm thrilled with the tweet, and I'm, gl- I'm glad you're on the air with us here. Uh, no worries. I appreciate you guys having me. For sure. Hey, we were just having a conversation before we get to your training camp and everything like that. We were just having a conversation about, hey, how you know, at the pro level, rookies are so much more dominant than they used to be. And you know, for me, it's all about the way – you know, youth sports has accelerated a lot of players' development. You're a, a university hockey coach. Uh, if you compare where the talent was coming in five, seven years ago to where it is now, do you see a lot of changes? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, that's a great point. I think off the top, you know, especially with, with hockey being the sport we're talking about, I think the kids that are coming straight out of college or the WHL are, are way more prepared, way more skillful and work with skilled coaches since since they're in Adam and Pee Wee. They're coming into camp in shape and opposed to where 15, 20 years ago guys were going to camp to get in shape. So they're already ready. They're already ready to play and they're chomping at the bit. 
And again, like I said, I, I think the main thing is these kids are just so so skillful. Com- combined with the rule changes back 15 years ago, it makes the skilled guys that much more effective. Yeah, Mark, and and you do a lot of development as well with minor hockey and the the progression of what they're doing on the ice, the systems, all that sort of stuff, not just the skill work, is far and away than, you know, when I grew up and you kind of threw some pucks out there and all your coach told you, is, hey, why don't you go win that game? There was really no planning. Maybe maybe you were a Jerry Butler and you shadowed one good player, but there wasn't a lot of thought put into it. It has taken a big step, has it not, that you see Adam uh, Pee Wee teams doing stuff that was being done 10, 15 years ago at a much higher level. Yeah, I mean, these like, again, these kids are so talented at a young age. And again, I think it's a, it's attributed to the fact that they're on the ice all the time. It's a 12-month-a-year season now. I mean, back in the day, or, you know, and Craig, you would know this, and, and, and I grew up in that era too where, you you know, soccer was three days a week, hockey was three days a week, or two days a week only. Now it's one sport, seven days a week, 365. And again, these kids are getting just, you know, tremendous skill, coaches to work with them then they got their own coaches and they got spring hockey um they 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 do everything i mean it's it's really amazing my little guy was playing at a little um brick skate last week and um you know these kids don't play together they're just thrown together in a little scrimmage and they're going d to d at the top of the blue line making passes down a little cycling it's it's pretty remarkable what they do at eight and nine years old Talking to Mark Coletta, the SFU men's hockey coach, uh, getting set to get going uh, next Saturday. Uh, is it a relief to get back after it? It's been a long while. Yeah, I think I speak for every every coach, whether it's, it's minor sports, soccer, hockey, basketball, every coach up at SFU, every coach in the lower mainland, junior hockey-wise, you know, in any sport. Again, it's it's just fun to get back on the ice. There's a, there's a sense of relief. There's a sense of... Um, uh, emotion maybe there's excitement you know our, our our guys haven't played in a year and a half and um you know there there's just a there's a good um, electricity at the rink with these guys you know you're not really having to yell and, and scream at them to get going they're they're moving already mark we'll, we'll talk about the upcoming sked and who you're facing and, and also the future of the program in a second but at camp uh you have uh invited the first female uh, player in the league to, to a training camp, uh, Kayla Monroe. Tell us a little bit about her story, how she's doing, and, and you know the thinking behind bringing her into the mix and to try and help your program. Well, I got an email a couple a month ago or so, and, and, and it was Kayla and asking if she could come out to camp and that um, you know her situation was you know things just didn't work out in Syracuse where she was supposed to go. Obviously, she's a talented goaltender. She she played for Jeff Eaton, who has been in the female game for a long time out here in, in BC, and and, and he's uh, reputable with with that. And, and obviously, she's you know a tremendous uh, person. She she just came out right away and and held her own, and and she's doing well. I mean, I I explained to her that you know we'll help her do whatever she wants to do if it's stay in the men's side or go to back to the female side eventually, and. We'll, we'll give her a landing spot here to see what she can do and prove herself. And again, we don't, uh, you know, I live by a motto that um, our coach back when I was in Plattsburgh kind of lived by, if you're good enough, you'll win. If she's good enough to, to get in the lineup, she will. And, 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 and obviously she's working hard right now. And it's, I think it's a little different with the, with the guy's velocity when they shoot the puck and the speed they come at, but um, she's holding her own. 
You know, it's funny, Mark, is, is you say it there, if you're good enough, you'll play. It's so simple, right? And, and we talk a lot about coaches and simplifying things, and it, it's just about getting two points. But here, here we're also trying to talk about inclusivity and, and growing games as well. And you've just boiled it down to something so simple of, hey, if you're good enough, you'll play. Yeah, I mean, there shouldn't be any, you know, <laughs> discrepancy over what, you know, female, male. I mean, again, there's been – there's kids who who play sports in and cross over. I mean, especially you know, there's there's minor hockey girls playing right now on the boys' siding, and they're just as good. And and uh, you know, eventually when the physicality does ramp up, they do tend to trend and go to the female game. But for goaltending, it's a little different. You know, they're you know, in some cases they can hold their own and and, and keep up. So, like I said, I mean, I've always been a strong believer of hey, look, you know, we're we're obviously. You know, at the university level, they're student athletes. We want to get them a, a prime education. I think SFU is obviously one of the best around, and that's great. But when we're when we're competing and we're playing games, you know, it's our job to you know win those games. And and, and so yeah, the best guys and the, and the best women will play. Mark, your your team's going to take on the Okanagan Lakers in their very first game. You've got a, a matchup with UBC. And are, are you guys still looking at the, the Alaska? I, I know there's obviously some COVID situation and, and travels. Are, are you still hoping to, to test yourself against the NCAA Division One again this year? Yeah, for sure. We, you know, obviously we've got um, our own little league, the BCIHL, which is definitely small and, and, and maybe a little unknown. And there's a lot of talented hockey players that, that end up not going anywhere. So we hope we, hope we can grow this league as well. And then, um, there's been chat of TRU and, and UFV and Selkirk even coming back in the league. So that, that's great. Um, you know, playing UBC is always going to be tough. They, you know, their roster is predominantly WHL guys and major junior boys who, who are, you know, just on that, that cusp of being pros. And, and so they're always going to be a challenge when we play U sport and Trinity as well. But, you know, playing, playing the NCAA teams for sure. We want to, we want to be, be able to compete against them, put our best foot forward against them. And, and yeah, we're, we're just going through some logistic and, um, and, and some financial, um, let's just say management to see if it's feasible to get up there this year. And, and of course, with the COVID situation, traveling across the border might be a little difficult, but uh, we're going to, we're going to let that take place here in the next week or two. We're definitely having them come down in January for a showcase um, where we have the BCHL uh, playing playing a game, we're going to play a game. The Canuck alumni and firefighters will be playing a game. So we're we're in the we're in the motions right now of uh, getting that together, and uh, hopefully that'll be announced uh, sooner than later. I think there's some info on that as well on our on our website. Well, you mentioned there just uh, being a competitive nature. I think a lot of people think of student athletes and they think, okay, developing players. You know, for you, is the program always just going to be about winning? Well, I mean that's. That's, I guess that's, you know, I, I don't think kids are going to university uh, athletes at, at any sport, volleyball. I don't think girls go to play volleyball at SFU or, or the men and women's soccer team go to SFU to, to, to go up there to lose. Um, I think they're going to play sport. I think the coaches understand we're, we're grooming um, student athletes to be, to be productive members of society after they leave university and their university sport. Not all of them will play professional. So, preparing them with you know with real life situations and getting a good education to go on to the next step in their lives is probably the most important thing and obviously winning winning has a lot to do with that and being competitive and 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 getting teaching those valuable lessons when you get out in the real world 
Mark, just one final one for me. Mark Coletta asked if you men's hockey coach joining us here on Bick and the Boss. The the ultimate dream, I guess, would, would be not just playing uh, an Alaska Fairbanks in, in a showcase, but to, to compete with them day in and day out. I know there was a study done, commissioned. I know there's a lot of work always going on hard behind the scenes and all that sort of stuff. But is, is that still the want and desire for this to program to somehow find a way to get to Div 1, uh, to have, you know, the best college hockey program in Canada and to you showcase, you know, what great players we have who have to leave home usually to play at that level could stay and, and skate at SFU. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a big undertaking. I think, you know, that's a, a discussion, the discussion that we've had um, amongst our, our own group and our alumni group and then some donors. And, and, and we've had some discussions with the school who's very accepted uh, of us and, and helps us in any way they can. So we're grateful the administration and what they do but yeah i mean if you're purely talking about you know sfu as a division one hockey team and and there's a lot of little red tape that you got to navigate through to get there which you know we've been you know looking at and then there are some some hoops you got to jump through but i think those are all set and, and and this should be pretty clear obviously financially it's a big undertaking and to say we wouldn't be competitive it would be a lie. I mean, the BCHL and Alberta and Saskatchewan, just alone in those, you know, in this proximity, the NCAA talent would be would be right here. Like the, the team would be, I wouldn't, I'm not going to use the word easy to recruit, but you would have a pretty substantial, um, let's just say, talent pool to pick from, and, and to be able to ice a team that would be competitive within, I would say, you know, by the time you're recruiting at a D1 level by the time those first recruits, those first freshmen are, are seniors and you've had three more years to recruit that style of player, I think you'd be in the conversation of a top 10 NCAA team, no, no question. And, and, and the area is desirable. The school's top class. The city's awesome. you got an NHL and an American League team right here. Why wouldn't a kid want to play in front of the Canucks and, um, and go to school and live in Vancouver? It's, it's a no-brainer. He is uh, Mark Coletta, the SFU men's hockey coach. Mark, thanks a lot for giving us some time today, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up during the season as well. All right. Thanks, guys. And, um, again, appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much. Again, Mark Coletta, uh, SFU men's hockey coach. Uh, the season gets going uh, next Saturday, and uh, pretty awesome. Uh, Kayla Monroe invite into camp uh, for them as well. We got to run to break. More on the way. We'll talk to our Mr. Fixit, Ken Priestley, on the way. And also Michael Finlay will join us as well, ex-Canadian soccer coach, uh, on the way in the next hour of Bick and the Boss. Now back to Bick and the Boss on the official home of the Canucks. Tiki Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. Sportsnet 650. What is up? Welcome back to Bick and the Boss. Bick Nazar, Craig McEwen. Hey, programming note, uh, we're not on tomorrow. Uh, got a baseball game on our airwaves. A nooner, CMA. A nooner, yes, a nooner. They still have those, Bick. Not a Nat Bailey, unfortunately. No, uh, unfortunately. So the Vancouver Canadians will uh, take over for us tomorrow at noon. So this is our last show of the week. Uh, here on Bick and the Boss. A big day, though, today. Uh, we, we started talking at the top of the show. Uh, Canadian men's soccer underway with their uh, 
World Cup qualifying tonight. Going to be playing Honduras. Hopefully not uh, striking up memories of uh, qualifications in, in years gone by, but what an opportunity to get this country behind it. We're already seeing a lot of support behind our national programs, Canadian women's soccer at the Olympics, Canadian women's hockey this week winning the championship. Here's another chance for us to show our national pride and our support for the Canadian men's soccer. Again, it should be a... A, a good uh, festive affair. I talked to a couple of people out east that are going to BMO Fields. You know, they're, they're capping attendance at 15,000, but it's going to be a raucous affair for them, and hopefully you're supporting it as well on TV and getting behind this squad because you, you probably you'll likely see them play one match here uh, in, in the winter months. Yeah, and the fact that it's on Sportsnet tonight and you're not going to have to have access to a streaming service just – I think will help build the excitement, the drama, and give the men some exposure that they so desperately need. Yeah, there were some comments coming in. Be like, I, I don't know who to, to back outside of Alfonso Davies. Well, it, it's okay if you don't know. Learn on the way. Learn on the way. Yeah, we're here to help you, and you can you know, revel in the history that Atiba Hutchinson has had, and you can get excited about the future with uh, Alfonso Davies, but there's so many players you can start to develop your connection with them over the course of these 14 games, and hopefully it starts off with a bang, and they get this W tonight, three points, start their march towards 21, you know, and start getting towards the uh, top three spot and, and leave yourself uh, not exposed to another playoff, but... If they get that top three spot, man, and they're going to the World Cup, what a moment it'll be. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things where I said before on the calendar, it's kind of a not a complete dead zone, but we're waiting for a lot to happen. There's, there's some NFL news, signings, KJ mm-hmm. Wright, you know, teams are tweaking. But, you know, bottom line, when you look at it now in the calendar, and I remember years and years and years ago, early 2000s with Sportsnet, the, the U-19 Women's Soccer Championship in Edmonton. Christine Sinclair's really, she'd played a bit for the National, but kind of her coming out party, Cara Lang, Aaron McLeod was in that team, Karina LeBlanc, like all these now stars that have played for Canada. And it captivated the attention of the entire nation because it was, again, the dead zone in sports. Hockey hadn't started yet. Football hadn't started yet in the NFL. And it was... At the time, the, the highest rated event on Sportsnet, because uh, they didn't have national hockey at that point. So it was one of those things where, Bic, in and let's hope the same thing happens here now for the men's team, where you're right. If you don't know about it, just watch it. Soak it up. Get behind them. And talk about it at the office. Talk about it at, at, at your, your construction site. And, and get into this World Cup qualification because this Canadian soccer team has not been this good for quite some time. Uh, unsigned text here, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Back the guys in the red jerseys. Not that hard. And look, <laughs> it's not it's not that well, hard. That, that's, a, that's a problem, though. You know, when Canada plays at home, we've seen this before, where, you know, back in the day, they, they used Swan Guard a lot. There was almost as many people from Honduras as Canada, and they would kind of out-cheer the, the Canadian side. So, yeah, let's let's hope everyone is backing the, the, the players wearing the red jerseys. Uh, I know we're certainly going to be talking about it later today on the People's Show. Dan Riccio's geeked up for it, along with Satyar Shaw and Randy Panda as well. We'll talk to Michael Finley at uh, 2.40. Uh, Paul Dolan will join the show at 
three thirty on the People's Show, uh, getting set for that match, which gets underway at five o'clock on Sportsnet later today. A lot happening though uh, throughout the sports world. Uh, I did see this today. A couple of contracts were signed. CMAC in the NHL. Uh, Joel Farabee and Casey Middlestack get their contracts today uh, for uh, Philadelphia and Buffalo, respectively. Now, Middlestack's interesting because a same draft year as Pedersen, and he winds up with this uh, reported contract of three years, $2.5 million. Farabee, on the other hand, uh, is a longer-term extension. It's six years at $5 million a pop. So he gets himself $30 million. And we talked about it yesterday of, hey, when you are uh, a player and someone throws $52 million in front of you in Colton Pareko's case and now $30 million in front of you in Joel Farabee's case, are you going to say no? And Farabee in this spot says, nope, I'll take $30 million. <laughs> Thank you very yeah. much. And I'll catch that. And, yeah, I've only played 107 games. Looks like a really promising player, 59 points through those 107 games. But he gets his nice payday. But what's interesting about this one, too, is it's one of these contracts, CMAC, that I look at and say, like, I, like there was a bit of sticker shock. I was like, wow, $5 million for, uh, for a guy who's played 107 games. But at the same time, like, these are some of the risks as NHL teams or as general managers in any sport. You kind of have to take. You have to make safe, conservative bets that have a lot of upside in them. It's kind of like doubling down on blackjack. It's a little bit dangerous. You don't know what the next card is. But you can make up the the value once that gets turned over. And if in two years, Joel Farabay looks like he's going to be a perennial, you know, 70-point goal scorer or point getter, you got a big value in this contract. At, at a 22, 23-year-old player getting only $5 million, these are the type of safe bets that, to be honest, I don't think we've seen enough times in Vancouver. Thatcher Demko is a good example of, hey, we're ready to now invest in this guy. Let's do this here. And you make that kind of safe approach. But maybe did they miss an opportunity to do it with Brock Besser? Did they miss – or can you use this opportunity to do it with the Nils Hoaglander to take the, the right type of long-term bet for cost certainty? Yeah, and now you're again back to our potential versus production. Sure, when you're talking yep. about prospects in the Farabee case. You're you're paying for future production, not necessarily potential. You're you're buying in. You know, Bo Horvat signs a deal. It's pretty cap mm-hmm. friendly. Canucks look at him, and you know they they were buying that future production. And again, you have to have the potential to get to the production. It's a bit of a chicken and egg, and I'm not just being semantics here, potato, potato, but what your point is, and I think you're so right, is that, is the word gambling like the, the blackjack, or are you, you know, using your analytics or your all your, your projection models to say, you know, this guy, he's he's at this clip, we he looks a lot with the eye test, like this player, and yeah, we're going to get him now, and yeah, it seems like a lot of money, the 30 million five per, but Boy, oh boy, in a couple years, that contract is going to be so good for us. That That is, hey, there's no guarantees in life in anything, but that is the tricky part about running a hockey team and making those safe and smart bets. And in this case, that's what they think this will be. Or, man, we sure blew that one. We, we, we shouldn't do that. And that's where I think if we get back to potential, if the player still has potential, that's when you 
let's say, gamble and do this, it's, you know, and we saw this in this market, the Canucks kind of went with the older guys and gave bigger deals to, and you're like, no, 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 their potential is kind of maxed, and we know what their production is going to be. You're buying in now on these younger players. Uh, this past year, he scored, we're talking about Farabee here, he scored at about a 56-point uh, clip in an 82 game season. Now, okay, he's still a young player figuring out this NHL. I expect that to get to you know 65, 70 points and kind of be in that consistent level. Comparing the two guys of what you just mentioned there, uh, the two guys signed today, you know, production versus potential. Like Casey Middlestad's still a guy that has potential. He's, he gets his next contract and he's signed up for a couple of years now here. Uh, and, you know, he. he Cashes his seven point five million dollars, but like it's still a guy who's got sixty one points in one hundred fifty five games. It's it hasn't quite translated as smoothly from that twenty seventeen draft class that Pedersen was in than a his draft com, uh, comrades and also just some other guys that are are signing some guys or some contracts around the same time. You have to make that switch from hey, I can get to the NHL. And now I'm in the NHL, and I got to produce in the NHL. And some guys just do it faster than others. Ken Priestley did it pretty fast as well. He'll uh, he joins us now. Our Mister Fix It from Dunbar Lumber here on Sportsnet 650. It's time for Mister Fix It, brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Now here's Ken Priestley. Our Mister Fix It, Ken Priestley from Dunbar Lumber, joining us on the line. Ken, how are you? Not bad. Yourself? Oh, uh, we're I've doing well. I don't think I've talked to you both at the same time for a while. Uh, it has been a while yesterday we were playing peaches and herb reunited you'll remember that song ken you, you'll remember reunited it feels so good reunited I, yeah i do i know that song uh, i hate to say i do but i do know <laughs> you've been at many a high school dance dancing to that one i'm sure yeah um, that, might been a, that might have been grade six <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we were just kind of talking, and it's kind of been a, a bit of a theme of the show today, of just uh, you know how to translate potential into productivity. And you know there, there was an article today from the Athletic, uh, the Canucks ranking seventh in organizational pipelines, and a lot of that was due to their players that are 23 and under already on the roster. We can argue about the prospects that haven't quite made it, but under 23 and under, they have guys in the organization to give them such high uh, ranking in such a list. You know, that transition from going from, I'm waiting to get to the NHL, and now I'm in the NHL, and now I have to produce in the NHL. How, how difficult was that for you as a young player? It, it's tough because it, it's, it's the best league in the world. You've been, you've been looking forward to this your whole life. And then all of a sudden, you know, if you get in there and you're comfortable and you're successful, things are all good, right? You, you, you settle into a line, you settle into a, a place to live. Everything's a routine. Uh, but then as soon as, you know, things start to change a little bit where maybe you aren't that successful, where you have to spend some time in the minors and, and uh, you're getting called up and down. And, and you know, in my case, I, my first year that I played pro, I, I started in Buffalo and it, and it was real good for the first 10 games. And then all of a sudden the team starts to lose. Uh, it's a very veteran, uh, heavy squad. And, uh, you know, the, the, the management all of a sudden, you know, changes their mind where they want to go 
they don't want to ruin young guys. They don't want to put young guys through the, the growing pain. So, you know, you get sent down back to junior in my case, you know, sent back to Victoria. And, and, and um, so the first experience is really good. You know, you're expecting to play and you do all this kind of stuff. 10 games later, your world goes upside down and you're going back to Victoria. But um, now, sorry, go ahead. No, no, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there, Ken. I, th- I thought you'd finish your thought. I, I was just going to say, you know, compare that to now where these young players step in and they, they have so much more confidence. And, and I, I realize dollars and cents, salary cap, and you get a, someone at a, a less money and that works in your favor. But are you amazed too, like compared to where you were at at that age and trying to adjust and figure it out? Because the process is the same. These young players who come in today still have to figure out how to live by themselves. All that, all the same stuff that you went through, but there just seems to be more of them now. Is that a case because it's it's cheaper to do so, or is there a different mentality, mindset, and uh, uh, ability of some of these younger players today as opposed to yesteryear? I think the game's uh, changed a lot. I think the game's a younger person's game now. I think that they expect more out of you very quickly. Um, I think that uh, definitely, obviously, the draft is, uh, you know, where you go in that draft is is the expectation level of of what they get from you. But, uh, you know, most teams now, you see their first rounders, unless they're going back to school or something like that, you see their first rounders playing the very next year, sometimes whether they're ready or not. Uh, I guess it depends on the organization, whether the hype is, uh, is needed or, or, or it's not. But, uh, you know, I think that the, just the whole way the game is the, the I think they're much, they're a little bit more mature. I think now, I think they're, they're physically more ready, even though it, you might be the same age, you know, 1920, you know, 1920 now is, is totally different, I think, than when I was 19 and 20. I, I still think I had a lot of growing up to do and a lot of maturing to do uh, physically and mentally at that age, whereas I think now they've been prepared so well at the, at the Western League level or, or the, you know, the, the, the school level, going to U.S. college or whatever. It's, just, it's a different mindset now, and, and I think you're seeing some really, really quality players coming out very early and once again, I think the game is just a, a young person's game. And I think now when you're 30, 31, 32, you might be on your way out rather than when you're way in. I was making the point earlier, Ken Priestley joining us from Dunbar Lumber. You know, there was such a gap between uh, Mario and Wayne to Sidney Crosby. And then the gap shortened considerably from Crosby to McDavid. And do we start looking at this now? And we're just look ahead here. Connor Bedard's going to come in. Shane Wright's going to come in. It's not that far removed from when Connor McDavid joined the league. Do you think we're going to get these players that are generational, quote unquote, more frequently because of what we're talking about here? Well, I think you, there, there's opportunities at such young ages now, like Bantam and, 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 and Pee Wee and, and Midget, all those age groups that, I mean, there's, there's, there's traveling teams, there's, there's summer leagues, there's academies, there's, you know, you're, you're, you're one sport people uh, sooner than, than you used to be. When I was a kid, you played every sport possible. And uh, when hockey ended in April, you never put your skates back on until September. Right. And, and now it's just, it's a year round sport and um, they're training so hard uh, all year round that uh, there, there's bound to be players that are that are just outstanding in skill, um, and they're just more polished uh, at uh, at such a young age that they can step right in a lot quicker than they used to be able to. 
and this may be a hard question to answer. The hockey's better. The the young players are better than what they are now than what they used to be. But hockey is a year round sport. It's a tricky thing, isn't it, Ken? Because not everyone's going to make the NHL. And and I just know, just growing up like you, that the balance that I had of being an athlete as opposed to a quote unquote just a, a player of a certain sport. That that's the real trick, isn't it? With with parents and and kids and and all that sort of stuff today that. The want, desire to, to follow that hockey path, and hey, the dream's great. You see that Colton Pareko make the money he's making yesterday, and you're like, man, if my kid could do that, that would be awesome. But there's only so few Parekos and, and the rest of them. That balance between probably playing one sport or doing many is is what the trick is right now, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's personal preference, really. Honestly, the it's it's what what the kid wants. It's what the parents want. Hopefully, it's what the kid wants. Um, I think sometimes you get some parents that are that are pushing their uh, their sons or daughters just a little bit uh, too hard, um, but that's that's neither here nor there. It's just that uh, you might burn them out a little bit quicker. But you know, I I've I've been around a lot of hockey players and and a lot of softball players and a lot of baseball players, and and if you love the game, you're playing it. And um, if that means they're uh, you're playing it year round they'll sacrifice a soccer game or a basketball game or something like that. But, uh, you know, right now hockey is, is in Canada is, is the sport. And I mean, at every single level, Pee Wee, Bantam and Midget, and you've got Academy level hockey, you've got, uh, even like greater Vancouver, you know, major midgets hockey and Bantam now. And I mean, if you want to be a player, uh, that's what you attach yourself to. And, uh, and with that is, uh, is training year round. And, uh, I think because, there are more people that can are ready to take spots. As soon as one player falls off, there's always somebody else to take your place. And uh, it, it's just very, very competitive now. We were uh, kind of talking about uh, before the show, you know, some contract was signed uh, today, Joel Farabee, uh, you know, Casey Middlestat, and uh, Colton Pareko gets a big contract yesterday. And, when superstars sign this contract, we're, we're waiting for Elias Pettersson to sign his contract here, but when superstars sign their contract uh, in, in a locker room, like what does that do when you kind of know, hey, this guy that's kind of our meal ticket, but you know, now we know he's, he's here long term. I know players don't often talk about money in the locker room, but can you sense it when a, a, big, name con- or a big name player signs his deal long term and it's like, all right, now it's go time for us? Yeah, I think you sense that. You sense the excitement for sure. When 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 uh, when you look at the off season that the Canucks had and and all the stuff that they did to improve their team, um, there's still two players, you know, that everybody's still kind of talking about, right? And and it's the uncertainty of what's going to happen. And I mean, I mean, I think there was one article that said that <laughs> from Sweden that came out that created a absolute mm-hmm. storm in Vancouver that you know. Maybe we're not going to have him here forever. Maybe Pedersen's going to move. Blah 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 blah. You know what? I mean, he's he's a very very gifted player, and uh, and 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 the Canucks are a much better team with him. And uh, that just comes with the territory. You know, you're always going to get these guys if they're not signed yet. There's all sorts of rumors, but like everybody, said, I think they're going to get done. I think this team has a very very bright future. And when those guys do get signed, there's definitely a feeling in the dressing room that it's go time, and and we have this window of opportunity to be our best and um i think everybody's excited about it and uh, i think the fans are hopefully in the next uh, two to three years we're treated to something special 
Ken, thanks a lot for giving us some time here, Powell. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care, guys. That's Ken Priestley, our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber. Uh, you can get your thoughts in as well to our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox 650-650, which is the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street at Ladner or our Beautus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Were you about to say something, C-Mac? No, I, I wasn't. I was just going to say that um, in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, we have a couple Raider things, and I was just reminiscing and thinking there about the, the good old days of the Raider. As Adam, the former bath guy, said his dad's favorite player, he was a Raiders fan, was Ray Guy. Great punter. punter. Yeah. Great punter. Yeah, yeah. Great punter. And then uh, Graham and Nanaimo, Sorvin, Mervin Fernandez, best line ever, best Raider ever. I, I would say best line ever. I'm not so sure he was the best Raider, but he did well when he played for the Raiders. Uh, big desire, Craig McCune. We'll be back in a flash, uh, continue the conversation uh, with Michael Finley about... The Canadian men's soccer team gets going, gets real tonight uh, for them against Honduras. It's all on the way. Pick Nazar, Craig McEwen, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Bick and the Boss, final segment here on Sportsnet 650. You want to chime in 650 650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll talk to Michael Finley in just a second, uh, former Canadian soccer coach, currently coaching uh, for Granada. That's a nice life. Hanging yeah, he's out, come uh, a long. He's he's come a long way since coaching West Van High. I can tell you that much. <laughs> just beachside and get some results and sipping on. Uh, actually, what is the drink of choice over there? I don't know. I, I, I keep always thinking in those countries it would be rum. You know, I was in Puerto yeah. Rico, Jamaica, rum. It's probably rum. Something like that. Grenadine. A rum oh, punch. Yeah. Grenadine. Ah, oh, well done. What is well that, done. Greg Ballack? What are you saying to us now? Grenadine. Is that, is that, are you, are you making that up or is that true? It's Grenada. What else would they be drinking there? <laughs> Sorry, is that bad? Is that, is that a bad no, joke? No, I, I, I thought it was a good joke. Thanks, Dick. C-Mac apparently didn't think so. I, I thought it was quick, sharp, well played. Hey, I, I, I just couldn't tell if it was a joke or real because I thought maybe I'm learning something here today. You're just too gullible, <laughs> C-Mac. <laughs> you think I actually know something? Come on. I do. Uh, I do think you know something. Potential, Greg. Yeah, potential. Not production, but potential. <laughs> just no parking spot yet. <laughs> no, no, no parking spot. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll talk to Michael in a couple of minutes here. Uh, but cool news, uh today for the PGA Tour. We don't spend a lot of time talking golf, you know, when the majors come by. But, you know, one of the things and, and to be honest, like, we don't spend a lot of time talking about F1, but, you know, we talked to Nick Latifi a couple of weeks ago on the People's Show because, you know, what's happened is this drive to survive has come out and it's raised the engagement rate for a lot of fans, either already F1 fans or people that just like scrolling through Netflix. Now they've watched this. Now they're into it. And they're waking up on Saturday to watch qualifying. They're waking up on Sunday to watch the races and the Grand Prix. Well, the PGA Tour has decided to uh, strike a deal with Netflix to do a docuseries uh, similar to F1's Drive to Survive. And I think this is massive. A, first of all, this is a thing that a lot of leagues should be looking at. And I know Milos Raonic put out a tweet of, come on, ATP Tour, like, what are you guys doing? This is something we need. And it works great for these individual sports, C-Mac, because yeah. it's not, you know, 
uh, all or nothing where you're going through, you know, 50 players in an NHL roster and all the staff members and, and, and the GMs and all that sort of stuff. It works great for F1 because you want to know the driver. And there's other people behind the scenes, but it's a face to the sport. It's a face to a team of that, uh, for, you know, for, for McLaren or Ferrari or for whatever. And then for the PGA Tour, a player is his own organization, and this is going to be so great for the PGA Tour if they if they adopt it into the tennis as well. WTA, ATP, that's awesome because there are some villains on that tour. It, it, it's it's a way to showcase the personalities too of these athletes, and that's how you make connections. If it's if it's a great series, they drive to survive. I think you'll see the engagement in golf grow a lot, and they have to do a lot to get outside of. Is it Sunday? Is Tiger Woods on the leaderboard? Yeah. Nope. Okay, I'm 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 checking out. They got to do something that's a bit different. And you know, we were just talking before we got on air here, but like Brooks and Bryson is something that's emerging, and you got to capitalize on that. Well, and and you're right because think about it. Uh, you know, Tiger Woods. Let's say how long has it been since he's relevant? I mean, he's had a comeback. He he got hurt, and his big move red shirt on Sunday moments are nowhere near what they used to be right like it's it's that's yesterday's news so for a sport which has a lot of great athletes why not play on the personalities you said why not play on the drama the 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 the, one of the segment titles is going to be brooksy i'm sure they're going (laughs) to look at it and they the way that the pga's clamped down and we can't have our fans you know bullying or going after someone The, the that sort of intrigue, and, and I've heard the, the guys on the People Show talk about it. They, they become F1 fans because mm-hmm. they've watched that series, because they're like, I can get into this now because I know someone. The NHL talks about this all the time, about how they want to tell stories about the personalities. And in, in hockey, it might be one of the most, you know, kind of underwhelming uh, sports as opposed for characters and, and outlandish acts and all that sort of stuff. So this behind-the-scenes look at, at a sport like golf with, as you said, these guys are their own sports teams or entities or groups, and the drama and, and to see some of that stuff, I, I, I'm fascinated and I'm definitely going to watch. Now, to be fair, there are great characters in the NHL. It, it, it's it's how do you transition yes. it from but the locker room to the public though. eye? Yeah, yeah. We, don't, we just see them. like You get a post-game clip or something like that. And mm-hmm. like I said, Kevin Bieksa was a great character. He's now on Hockey Night in Canada showing that flavor, that flair. But mm-hmm. we, we probably didn't see enough of that when he was here in Vancouver. For sure. And it's something that's incumbent on the NHL to do. But I think of what the PGA is doing here. It is kind of a break from what we think the PGA is at times. Sometimes you can be a bit stuffy, right? It's golf, and you turn on, and it's not necessarily... Like, even the advertising, it's like Buick and Oldsmobile. And yeah, it's country it's, club. It's, it's yeah, yeah, drivers, and you're right. This will... You know, we, we kicked off the show with the, the, the soccer talk and, and trying to get the sport to the masses. This hopefully would open it up for so you're not just a Tiger fan. You, you're going to be a fan of, of all these other players because you're going to get to see who they really are. And, and we had to wait sometimes for Tiger and Phil to be competitive, and that's the great rivalry. And then he fell off, and you had to wait for the next guy. Well, guess what? 
in this age, here's the PGA Tour capitalizing on this potential rivalry with Brooks and Bryson. Brooks Kepka's 31 years old. Bryson DeChambeau's 27 years old. This might be 10, 12 years of them two, not necessarily competing for titles, but just competing in general. Yes. And eye rolls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all of that sort of stuff. It, yes. Memes and saying, you know, quick quips or something like that. Start to spark the fire now and, and, and let it grow over the course of 10 years for the PGA Tour. Well, you, you used the term earlier about villains and heroes and all. And isn't that what, in this pandemic, we've all been shoved into our homes and couldn't go out, could do things, and we just stream everything now. We, we crave this content. We want it. So these sports entities need to also get on it and, and do more of what some of the great things that we've seen recently, in my opinion, uh, you know, the Malice at the Palace document, that sort of stuff. But get behind the scenes in real time, not just go back in history. That's fascinating because now it's it's almost like a, 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 a real housewives or whatever it's called. You know, like you're watching these golfers. You're like, I'm getting into this because there's some bite to this. There's the, It's not just, hey, I got this low score at, at this great tournament. No, no, this is the caddy and the, the player arguing with each other, arguing with other people. That that sort of insight and intrigue is what will drive the sport forward. Bick Nazar, Craig McEwen, let's talk to, uh, we'll, we'll switch it up here. Michael Finley joins us now, a former Canadian uh, soccer coach and uh, head coach now of the Granada men's national team. But uh, it's a big day here in Canada as we're getting ready for uh, the first match of the qualification process of the final stage for uh, Canada playing Honduras today. Michael, thanks a lot for giving us some time today. How are you? All good. How are you, gentlemen? Uh, we are fantastic. Cenac, uh, uh, I know you watch Real Housewives. You mentioned it there, but you didn't finish it. I know you watch it. <laughs> I, know, nice I know I did. Nice I could have said Beverly Hills, uh, Atlanta, New York. Yeah, but I, I left it. Yeah, I left it hanging, yeah, okay. but you're right. You caught me. Yes. <laughs> Faithful subscriber he is. Uh, yeah, there is. So, uh, how great is this tonight for uh, for the uh, the men's national team? Uh, here's this opportunity. Got to take on Honduras uh, to, to to start off this octagonal. Uh, the first match being at home, got to get those points. And is it best to start at home, or is it uh, maybe easier way into the qualifying qualifying scenario, maybe with the road match? But is it best that they're at home? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if I'm if I'm picking, I'd like to start off uh, in the home legs, um, you know, to get off to uh, a, a start that is uh, somewhat um, supported by by the fans and by by media, um, and really sort of you know get it going so you can gain some momentum. Um, it is a different world. We're not going to see a full stadium, but it, it, that still is is an advantage to be playing at BMO. Um, and and going forward, so yeah, I I take the I take the the home leg first. Yeah, and Michael, you, this group of Canadian men's players, uh, I don't think we've seen as talented a pool, and and it started, you know, with, with your regime and the, the one currently, and building and building, and we have people who can actually put the ball in the back of the net. Think how long <laughs> we've we've waited for some offensive firepower when it comes to soccer in this country. But there's a real opportunity, isn't there, here for this group uh, because of the talent they have, the depth that they have. They just don't have 11 players. They have more. They, they, they've got an Alfonso Davies. This is really important, is it not, for soccer in this country to kind of keep building and keep pushing this momentum forward? Oh, 100%. It's, uh, you know, it's absolutely critical to our, you know, to our growth, to the country's growth, to, to the continued expansion of professionalism in the game. Uh, both on the pitch and off the pitch, 
Um, it, it sends messages all the way through the system. I mean, I think, I think we all know that, um, you know, the, the process of development, the process of, of a player's um, journey, uh, you know, is, is somewhat of a, a longer one than people think it is. And, and this, is, this is the maturing of a group that you have to give credit to a, a whole host of people, coaches right across the country for many years who were working in a system that, that everybody said was broken and constantly were getting, uh, you know, getting heckled for it. And, and here's what it has produced. And so uh, this is an opportunity for those players now to take themselves, the game, uh, the people within it, the fans, to the next level. You, you mentioned that timeline because I've I've always felt and like I, I've been critical of Soccer Canada at times and you know fans generally speaking have said I, I want to support it but we don't see the success level. You know now that you see it here, do you kind of harken back to ten, fifteen years ago and saying, yeah, this is the plan. It takes a little bit of time to nurture this level of talent and say if you're for a generation to go by and now they're already at the stage with the Davids and the Davies. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's no different than around the world. We have a tendency to, you know, eat our young here. And when it comes to football and football development um, and, and the players that you see uh, performing tonight and onwards in the, the octagonal were players that were, were going through a system that was trying to provide them the best opportunity possible. And I think the, the real critical point about this is opportunity. I never felt uh, when I worked in the, in the Canadian system and with all the other coaches that were involved we never felt the talent wasn't there. We always felt the opportunity to expose that talent, consistent competition, uh, opportunities for them to play in the best level possible. And you see players, once they get that, Canadian players are no different than other players. They're, they're given that opportunity, and they've shown to, to have the qualities required to compete on the international stage. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really, um, I like to say that, in football, there are your, your, your planters, uh, you have your uh, people that then nurture that, and then you have your pickers, right? So there's a number of people that you have to look down the line at um, who, have, who have contributed to this process. But the nice thing now is, um, you know, you have a squad where, you know, the, the team doesn't pick itself. Uh, the team has flexibility. Uh, in terms of its tactical layout, and it has positional dominance. In other words, if one is not working, somebody can step in, which takes years to, to establish. Um, uh, years ago, you know, the 11 would generally pick itself, um, and you wouldn't have uh, an appropriate person in each position. You'd have to be flexible and move them around your system. So these are all excellent uh, situations to, to take Canada into that next level. Is it... Um too much to say that they're either the third or fourth best country in this group. Uh, and, and I know that you have a good handle on it. You, you coach in it, you've coached here, you, you've seen some of the teams through the gold cup and all that sort of stuff. But when handicapping this, and I've heard, you know, others say this, Paul Dolan, you know, they're talking like, Hey, this, this group is a top three or a top four in this uh, competition to get to the world cup. Well, certainly right now on paper they are, uh, and I certainly believe their performances in the last number of games, specifically the Gold Cup, um, you know, their, their qualifying uh, process, let's be honest, it was, it, it was not something that was going to cause them a lot of issues, in my opinion. If they did, well, then you, you've got bigger problems. But in terms of performances in the Gold Cup this year and what they have, I would agree with that. And this is where now you're put to the test. I mean, these other countries, uh, I, think, I think Canada has, has caught a few of these countries uh, in the in the downslope of the cycle, um, you know the Costa Ricas, uh, even the Honduras, to a certain extent, the Panamas, who were uh, which I consider much stronger in the last cycle, uh, are now reloading and getting ready for the next cycle. So you you might have caught it on the on the right pathway, 
Um, but in terms of, of, of their dominance and their potential, uh, I would agree with that, uh, given the, the talent that, that is going to be in the starting 11 and sitting, sitting on the bench ready to step in if, there, if there's a need to. They play Honduras tonight at 5 o'clock. They're going to be playing uh, USA on Sunday. You mentioned the gap between hey some of the other nations there, but what about between Mexico and USA? How big, how big is the talent gap, and can they get points out of those matches and, and kind of make it a bit easier on themselves? Oh, you have to, you know, you never go into a game, um, you know, wanting to do anything but win at the international level. But you do have to be very strategic in what you're doing. Um, you know, you probably heard that uh, Christian Pulisic hasn't traveled to El Salvador with the U.S. He's just come off of COVID rest and, you know, he doesn't, they probably don't think he's ready for that. Um, you know, depending how they set up, you know, what will Canada do? Um, but what, what the U.S. And, and Mexico have is, is this depth. And this is what we are, we are, Canada is trying to address is this ongoing um, addition to their long list. Um, and that is really where the, the gap is. There's no doubt they're, they're, com- they're a competitive group. You just have to look at the players that are going to step on the pitch. They're playing at the highest levels in, in, in world football, just like the Americans, just like uh, the Mexicans. But if you look at the squad, you can see instead of having, you know, uh, a, a group of 18, you know, the Mexico could easily have a group of 25. Uh, the U.S. the same thing. You look at the team that, that was successful and won the Gold Cup, and then you look at the squad they brought in for their first round of World Cup qualifying, it's almost a completely different team. And so you can see that they have got an incredible depth of youth coming through, um, and, and, and that is going to be the next uh, challenge for, uh, for a country like Canada. Um, just one more f- for me, Michael, before we let you go. There seems to be now, and, and, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe it was always there, but... I, I, uh, pride in, in putting on the maple leaf that perhaps wasn't there, you know, 10 years ago. And, and not to say people didn't want to represent their country. I'm not going that far, but like they're just in this group just seems to be uh, an excitement and energy. And, and again, maybe it's because of the talent that, Hey, putting on that maple leaf and you see it in hockey, you throw that Canadian sweater on it in a hockey game. It doesn't matter who you're playing. You, you, you're going right to the end. Is, is that too much of a, of a leap to say that there's been a bit of a Renaissance in that, pride of, of playing for your country? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I think the, the pride and the, and the interest was always there. I mean, the, the groups that we had with Benito Floro and myself, um, with, with Stephen Hart bef- uh, behind that, and with the, with the Tony Fonseca at the youth level and Rob Gale and those type of people, there was always an interest in wanting to represent the country. One of the issues was, is, you know, for long periods of time, as a Canadian player, you were basically carrying the wrong passport. Uh, you were you were fighting for a position on a day in day out basis at your club level, and to leave that scenario, which a lot of them were not playing in A level leagues, which means those leagues wouldn't break for FIFA dates. They were always in between whether they should come in, should they not come in. And what the game changer has been is the establishment of the Nations League, because before you'd play friendly after friendly after friendly until you got to the point where you need to to, to play a qualifying game, whatever that may be. Um, and so you could pick and choose. Whereas now is all Nations League games are about establishing your ranking in CONCACAF, establishing your ranking for Gold Cup qualification, and obviously for getting ready for any new cycles of World Cup qualifying. So I would say always, players always wanted to pull it on. And when they got together, they did have that uh, nationalistic feel. This is a very, very important situation. And every player that I worked with always always felt a responsibility to deliver and, and support the country and its fans and, and all the people that helped them get to where they got to.
Well, it should be a fun night, Michael. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, Michael Finley, former Soccer Canada coach, uh, and, and uh, hope we have a uh, successful run here during this tournament. Enjoy, I hope everybody enjoys it, and uh, it's, it's good to see a lot of, uh, of, of players making it to that level who spent a lot of time dreaming about it. So thanks for having me, guys. Good to talk to you. Thanks for the time. It is uh, Michael Finley joining us here on Bick and the Boss, Bick Nazar and Craig McEwen. Uh, so we got a couple of minutes left before we depart, and the people shows uh, takes over. Uh, so do you want to talk about it, C-Mac? Uh, yeah, let, let, let's talk about it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. uh, It's kind of been a poorly kept secret. Uh, Many uh, have texted in about it for the past uh, month. Uh, So we'll confirm it here to everyone. Uh, Yes, the rumors are true. Uh, This will be our final show together. We're off tomorrow because of the nooner uh, with the Vancouver Canadians. Uh, But we are uh, no more. Uh, C-Mac, I will uh, let you take the floor with the rest of the news here. Yeah, thanks, Vic. Yes, as, as you mentioned, kind of a, a, a secret that wasn't really a secret. People maybe in the industry knew, other people. But uh, I, I am leaving the radio station at the end of the week. I have one more day uh, to do the office and admin stuff, but this is my last day on the air. Uh, going to join the Vancouver Canucks organization. Super excited about that, but it, extremely bittersweet for me in you know the last four plus years as we go into year five here at Sportsnet 650 have been incredible. The people I've worked with, the the support we've received from Sportsnet proper. I can't thank everyone enough. And I'm not going to go through a big long list because ultimately you end up forgetting someone. But it has just been an absolute pleasure and honor to help this station get off the ground, get started. And Bic, buddy, it has been an absolute pleasure to work with you. You, you are such a professional. You carried me along the way. Uh, I know that people in the in the text inbox would would rip me a lot, and and I I always had a smile on my face. I always kind of laughed, and you and I, you know, in in the breaks giggled about some things. But I, I never took any of that personally. I thank all the listeners and everyone who supported the station and keep supporting it because this is a fantastic group of people, Bick included, and uh, bigger and better things to come without me here. But yeah, I, I appreciate you allowing me to say goodbye and uh, thank the listeners. Thank you. And thank everyone at the station and also thank Sportsnet as well for, for gifting me this opportunity because truly it was a gift. I see some people texting in right now. Hey, what's next? We'll get to that on Monday. I wanted this to be about uh, you today. And yeah, buddy, I'm going to miss you. I know uh, privately and internally, you know, you've downplayed maybe your influence, but I can tell you, uh, for every man and woman that has walked through our doors, I can confidently say that uh, every one of them would say, what a great mentor, great leader, great friend you've been. And, uh, yeah, the, these last four years to, to witness firsthand, uh, you know, building this thing from the ground up. And I can look back and say, like, you know, you, people have different definitions of what leaders are. I, I would look back and say, yeah, that guy, that's a leader. Putting out fires, willing to sacrifice for others, for other people's success. Uh, you have been phenomenal, and we are certainly going to miss you. Uh, so I, I know many people are going to say other things over the next couple of shows, but... Uh, best of luck to you in your uh, future endeavors, and uh, thank you for all the support everyone has chimed in with, uh, you know, for the last six months over this show. Uh, it, it'll be a new frontier, but uh, C-Mac, we wish you the best of luck, man. Yeah, thank you, and and thanks again to everyone for listening and ripping me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll make way now. People show coming up next. Uh, it's going to be a packed show. Brendan Batchel, Adnan Verk on the way, and Paul Dolan as well. 
Uh, so we sign off permanently for Bick and the boss. I'll be back on Monday, though, uh, here on Sportsnet 650.